Now, what does it mean to be faithful? When I say that, you probably, if we could interview people or we could tap into your mind, we would have all sorts of things that would probably come about. You'd think of all sorts of definitions of faithful. For some of you, being faithful means that you go to church all the time. Uh, for, if that's the case, dude, I'm the most faithful person you know. I mean, I, I'm here almost every time the doors are open. Does that make sense? So, so I'll be straight up. That is not the definition of faithful. For some of you, faithful means that I never sin. Well, that means you're a liar. That's what that means because there's nobody, no, not one that is that righteous. Can I get an amen in the house? Or maybe being faithful means you give some money or you serve here, you do this. Uh, being faithful, I think, is much more not subjective but personal. And Jesus gives us this incredible series of parables. Uh, in Matthew chapter 25, where we're going to be, starting in verse 13 or 14, in Matthew chapter 25, we see the second of three different parables in which Jesus is talking about, if you go way to the back uh, where he started this, he's talking about when I come back, at the end of days, when everything's over. And at that point, he starts giving these different stories talking about, so in between, when I leave and when I come back, there is a way I want you to handle your business. And it's all about faithfulness. All three of those parables are about faithfulness. Now, we're going to look at one of them. And I picked the one that I thought I think is usually misinterpreted because I want to, I want to take it and I really want to, uh, I want to drain it of some of its mystique and, and put some, some hands and feet to it so that we can live by it. It's called the parable of the talents. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the whole thing. Then we're going to give you some glossary terms. And then we're going to do a quick Bible study on it. I'm going to give you some points about being faithful. One more time on the count of three. Everybody say, be faithful. One, two, three. All right, so let me take you to Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read through the whole thing, and I'm going to really resist doing commentary, because we're going to do that, but, but that's very hard for me. I'm just trying to walk through the whole thing. Matthew 25, verse 14, and uh, here we go. Jesus is telling this. It's a parable. It's not a real story. Jesus is making this story up. I'm already doing commentary. I haven't even started reading. Jesus is, is using a parable, which is him using a story to illustrate a truth, but the story itself is not true. It's a, to illustrate truth. Make sense? So here we go. For it will be like, what is it, these days your faithfulness, stop it, Andy, read it. Here we go. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. He who had received the five talents went out at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. Pause. This is a commentary. i got to do commentary here. Have you ever heard this? When I die, I just want to get to heaven. So God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You ever heard that? And people say it all the time, right? I just, want, I just want Jesus to say, well done. If you want to know where it comes from, here it is. Here it is. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also... And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And Cast the worthless servant out into, outer, into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this isn't one I expected you to say amen when I finished reading the passage. This is when you get to the end of that, you're like, say, what? And the reason I picked this one is because there's some language. Hey, you, let, me, let me guess. You got about 75% of the way through this, go, yes, yes, amen. Then you got to about 80, 85%, you're like, oh, this is, that's harsh, that's bad. Then you got to the end, you went, what? That doesn't really gel. Because you are ascribing the characters of the master with God and the servants with us, and then all of a sudden he's throwing people into hell, because that's what gnashing of teeth means, right? Well, this sounds pretty vicious. Well, how about we break it down and we find the reality? Can I get an amen in the house? Let's do a couple of things. I'm going to go to white screen here real quick because I want to give you a couple of things before we move on. I told you I was going to give you a glossary. First of all, let's do this in three sections. Okay. Uh, the first section is this. When we talk about uh, using something or growing something, let's talk about something as simple as a church and a ministry. There are three options a church has. A church can either grow an increase. It can, it can, and, and, and it's not always about numbers. It's not always about budget. Sometimes it's about spiritual growth, but, but it can have forward momentum. It can grow. Everybody say grow. Second, it can kind of plateau and kind of just stay the same. And that's kind of even keel, right? Nothing changes, not better, not worse, but it does maintain. Everybody say maintain. And then there's a third option. A church or a ministry or even a spiritual life can decline. That means things get worse. They're not as good as they used to be. You can look back and say things were better back then. Everybody say decline. Now, we have three guys in this passage, but what's funny is all three of these aren't represented here, are they? Help me out. In this passage, what's represented? Grow. grow. There are two guys who grow and one guy who does what? He just maintains. One guy who maintains. It is not even in the realm of teaching when Jesus talks about talents that we would decline. Dun, dun, dun. Now, you follow me on this? The only two that he's even talking about are either growth or maintenance. And the maintenance, that's not even a good report card if you remember the end of this story. Can I get an amen in the house? The decline, by the sheer absence of this being in the story, the decline of the talents that were given means that that's not even an acceptable outcome. Now, this is harsh. But remember, this is not about grace. And did God forgive me? I thought God loved me. Yes. On this side of the cross, before you know Jesus, it's all about grace, grace, God's grace. And he loves you and he did everything for you. But once you embrace the cross, once he has covered you, on the other side, you're part of the family. And people in the family should do their own dishes. Can I get an amen in the house? When you're part of the house, you got a job to do. Can I get an amen? 
This is about discipleship. This is not about salvation. This is about discipleship. A disciple is covered by the same grace. You're still covered by the grace of God, but on the other side of the cross, you're part of the family, and family has responsibilities. You are not a house guest where everybody else is there to serve you in Jesus' name. Does that make sense? So we're talking about discipleship. And in discipleship, there are only two options Jesus is talking about. It's either forward momentum or maintenance, but decline isn't even on the list. Second, let's talk about parables. When we read this parable, we can get a little confused, but parables have some things that you need to understand. There is not a one-to-one relationship in a parable. It's not, okay, so this is God, so everything we see about this guy, we can know is true about God. That's not true. That's not, we want that because we're American readers, but a Hebrew who understood parables knows that it's not a one-to-one. So you can't say, okay, so, so this is what the, the leader did in this, so everything that this guy did, this is what uh, God is like. No, it, it's not like that. You have to understand, that was not the way it was written, it's not the way it was intended. And, and because of that, there's a, a second element. Every parable, everybody say every parable. Every parable breaks down. Everybody say down. Breaks down. Even one of the best known parables on the planet is the prodigal son, right? And the father's waiting on the porch, and, 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 and when the prodigal comes home, he comes running to him and wraps him up. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Here's the problem. In the, and we know that God is the father waiting to wrap him up, right? But, but in the parable, the father doesn't know when the son's coming home. Well, that's not true about God because it breaks down. You understand? It's, it's to give you a direction, but it's not, you can't go one-to-one. Not every word of a parable is equal to. It, it's, it's a metaphor. It's an analogy. It's a movie. It's something to play in your mind. So make sure that you don't say, every word of this, I have to apply. This is what God is. We use the whole counsel of God's word. And finally, a third thing about parables, it's called hyperbole. Everybody say hyperbole. Or hyperbole, if you want to mispronounce it. Uh, hyperbole is gross exaggeration, and it's all over the Bible. Jesus used it all the time. It is better for you if you sin to gouge your eye out and throw it in the fire. Well, we know he didn't mean that because his disciples could see, right? If Jesus meant it, then every worship service they had, they'd be like, isn't that right? What he meant was, this is a big deal and you need to take this seriously. Can I get an amen in the house? So parables, not always one-to-one, they're always going to break down because it's a human story about a supernatural God, and those things are never going to be all together. And finally, hyperbole was a common usage in, the, uh, in Asiatic cultures and in the Hebrew culture. They would use gross exaggeration, and what they were doing is, do you see the direction that's going? It's not that the destination is, but that direction is where you're supposed to point your attention. That's what hyperbole was for. Finally, a third thing, a talent. Everybody say talent. Now, talent is interesting because he gave five talents to one guy, he gave two to another, he gave one to another guy. Now, a talent in the Bible was a biblical weight of measure, and a biblical weight of measure between 50 and 85 pounds. Now, what this means, it was also used as the largest sum of money, largest sum of money in the Roman era, to which one talent if it was 50 to 85 pounds of silver, if he gave them five talents and two talents and one talents, based on the economy of the day, translated to what we'd get for minimum wage today, one talent would take a common day laborer 20 years to make. One talent. And he gives one guy five talents. 
That's 100 years worth of day labor, day labor, right? The equivalent in price is the first guy, he gave $1.5 million. The second guy, he gave uh, $600,000. And the third guy, he gave $300,000. Does that all make sense? Now, what's really interesting, is Jesus talking about money here? No, they all break down. Matter of fact, when I say talent, what do you think of? Abilities and skills. The word we have in our English language, talent, is from this parable. It's using the money reference, but it's all about our resources, everything we have, every gift that we have. So we're talking about God gave some people a a $1.5 million gift, and he gave some people a $600,000 gift. And some people saying, and I got a buck 95, that's what I got in my life. (laughs) Whatever it is you got, it's, it's money, it's time, it's energy, it's the ability to sing. Can you communicate? Do you know how to, how to serve? What, what kind of heart? You, all of that is talents. Everybody say talents. With all that being said, he's teaching us how are you faithful with what you've been given? Does this make sense? We've already learned a few things. We've got some Bible study skills under our belt. We can read more parables. We can know a few things. But what is he saying? Now let's walk back through this, and I've got a few things to point out. I'm going to roll through a list. And we've done most of our Bible studies, so I can just share it with you now. The first step to being faithful is you have to be a manager, not an owner. You need to be a manager and not an owner. Where do you get this? He says that he entrusted to them his property. Whose property? Let's try it one more time. Whose property? Say, these guys, one's got, one shows up to work. How would you like to show up to work tomorrow? And the boss says, hey, I need you to do a project for me. Here's $1.5 million. Make something happen. You'd be like, cha-ching, balang, balang, yes. Office party. And you'd, I'd be praying against you because you'd order pizza, wouldn't you? <laughs> but what, what you have to understand from the beginning here is that the, the process of being faithful is to understand that your talents, whether it's money or singing or mercy or whatever it is, whether it's an act of service or it's the house that you have or, or, or it's the children that you're raising, whatever your talents are, they belong to him. And the minute you cross that line and you start thinking, this is mine. Oh man, I can sing. Oh man, I can preach. Man, I can do business. Man, I can lead. I heard a pastor say a couple years ago, I love this, that as soon as pride walks on the stage at your church, God walks off. And the minute you start thinking you're the owner and you forget that you're just the manager, I talked about Adam and Eve just a couple minutes ago. Do you know what happened? They went from managing to owning and the world went to hell. Literally. You see, God put him in the garden and said, I've given you this garden. This is my garden for you. Yay. I want you to name my animals. Yay. I want you to be fruitful and multiply in the world that I've given you. Yay. Stay away from one tree. And then one afternoon, they're looking at that tree going, what? The snake says, if I eat this, I can be like the boss. The snake says, if I take a bite of this, that I don't have to, I can be just like him. I don't have to take orders from him anymore. And they thought they could give themselves a promotion. And the minute we start looking around going, this is my house. This is my bank account. This is my life. This is my body. Now, I'm just crossing every cultural line there is. But if you're a believer, you were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. 
If you call yourself a follower of Christ, let me get real on what Scripture says. And if, if you ever get out there and say, well, over at Crosspoint, they must compromise the gospel. That's how you grow a big, big church. Let me help you out. We don't compromise the gospel. I'm going to lay it out nice, clean, and clear for you right now. If you are a Christ follower, he is God, you are not. He is Lord, you are slave. You are not even your own. The very breath in your lungs belongs to him. Every moment of every day, every resource that you have, you got diddly squat. The only stuff you have is stuff is on loan from him. Now, this one's hard for me. My boys are not mine. They are his. And I'm thankful for that gift. My wife, that's his daughter. Don't mess with a man's daughter. Can I get an amen in the house? And we have to understand if we're going to be faithful, everybody say, be faithful. First thing you got to understand is you are a manager. You must remind yourself every day, I am a manager. I don't own anything. I don't, none of this belongs to me. I've been given this based upon the grace of God. That's it. Now, the second part of this is where it gets a little, hey, let's just be straight up. Can we be honest? We're going to be honest. Let's just be totally honest. Have you ever looked at somebody else and said, why did God give them that? Look, hands in the air if you've ever been there. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> Say, but why did God give them that? Now watch this. You need to operate at your capacity. What does it say in verse 15? To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to one he gave one. To each according to his ability. Now this is tough, but this is God's word. You operate in the capacity that he has given you. I remember when I was a pastor of a small church in Texas, I was going, man, God, I could do so much better if you just gave me a big platform. And, and I know what God was saying. Oh, you're still an idiot. We got to work some stuff out of you, and then we'll see what we can do. And, and we all think our capacity is greater than it actually is. I drive a 10-year-old Dodge truck, Dodge 1500, and I, the reason I got it was for two reasons. Number one, it had legroom, was the biggest cab I could get because I have some large children in my life. And I got one, my youngest, the doctor told us he's gonna be well, he's gonna be bigger than me. And him in the back seat, I was buying for long term. The other reason I bought it is I had all the specs on the family trailer that we own. I knew what it weighed and what the torque ratio was on its tongue hitch. And I went to the dealership and said, these are the minimal specs that I can have. And I found a truck with the biggest cab that could barely pull that thing. I am at maximum capacity. Now, two things. If you saw a 28-foot travel trailer being pulled by a Ford Mustang, <laughs> you're laughing because you go, that's a nice car. Wrong application. I mean, you, you're going to drop that hitch on there, and for all of its horsepower, all it's going to do is destroy that car. It's going to ruin the suspension. It is not built for that. Can I get an amen? amen. So you, you wouldn't want to put more on something, even if that something was going, I can handle it, because it can't. Can I get an amen in the house? It's just as sad to me to stroll through the parking lot of some store and see some big 350 diesel, super duty, whatever, and there's not even any paint scraped off their trailer hitch. That makes me sad in Jesus' name. 
Because it's got all And they ain't doing nothing with it but riding around looking big. Can I get an amen in that? Now, if somebody's in that case, God may ask you to trade your truck with me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Whether you're asking for too much or you're doing too little, being faithful requires that you operate at your capacity. That God will give you what you should be doing and you do everything that you can with what he gives you. Whether it's time, money, energy, resources, opportunity, wherever you are. You may have had more a while ago and you don't have that much right now. Well, did I fail? No, we go through seasons. Did you know God changed? Moses was gonna free God's people. He knew God put it on his heart. I'm gonna free these people. And he went out and took a club and killed a guy. And God went, what was that? And he had to run off in the desert for 40 years in timeout. <laughs> and God said, you weren't ready. This is your calling, but you tried to do that on your own. He was the Mustang trying to haul a trailer. God took him out in the desert 40 years later. He came rolling back, boy, he came rolling back up to Pharaoh. <laughs> Air breaking, because he was a big old diesel by then. Can I get an amen in the house? You see, we have to operate at the capacity wherever God has you. Right now, if you're on an upward trajectory, hallelujah. If you are on a, a seasonal reconditioning, hallelujah. Wherever you are, you operate at the capacity that God has given you. And all God's people said. Third, make your gifts produce. It's tough. It's tough. When I say operate your capacity, I spoke to pastors a year and a half ago. Uh, they actually had not, not just pastors. It was 1,500 missionaries, pastors, and leaders at a leadership conference for the Midwest. It was the biggest room I've ever talked to at one time, not because I haven't talk, I've talked to more than 1,500 people, but when you talk to 1,500 leaders, you're talking to all the people that they talk to. So it was the biggest room I'd ever talked to. And I shared the passage. I may share it with us someday here. I shared the passage where the vine dresser is approached by the vineyard owner. It's another parable. And the vineyard owner looks at this tree and goes, that tree isn't producing, cut it down. And the vine dresser goes, give me one more year. I'll break up the soil. I'll put fresh manure on it. Give me one more year. And then if it doesn't produce, cut it down well and good. But give me one more year to give it a shot. And I told them, me, us, that we're the vine dressers. And when we're not producing, here's what the owner says you're not producing, cut it down, throw it into the fire. It actually says in the passage, you're wasting the resources of the vineyard. Ouch. And you see, we like to say this, well, I'm just being faithful. I got to tell you, on this side of the cross, it's not about just being faithful. What does it say right here? You got to produce. You got to produce. Now, what, what do you want me to produce? I don't know. God's got an assignment for you. Maybe your assignment right now is to raise godly kids, and that is your focus. Maybe God's calling you to step out and start a ministry. Well, you better get on that. Or maybe saying you need to get, God says you need to get back there and start helping in children's, or you need to talk to Andy about growing and becoming a preacher because that's on your heart. Or well, whatever it is, it's time you start producing to just sit back and say, oh, well, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm in a season. No, 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 no. Jesus says you will know a tree by its, oh, some of you know that verse. And if you look at a tree and ain't got no fruit, you know what that is? Kindling. 
You look at a tree, you got no fruit. That's what Jesus said. Cut it down. It's wasting resources. Burn that tree. And thank goodness there's some pastors who are standing up for you going, one more year. One more year. We're going to try, God. I'm going to throw some poop on them. <laughs> That's what it says. In the King James, it says, dung it. God, I will dung them. Just throw that manure all over them. We'll give it a shot. But God expects us to produce. Look at the language he uses here. He who had once, re- he who had received the five talents went at once. Everybody say, went at once. It wasn't a prayer meeting. They didn't strategize. Because they were already operating at capacity, what they were given, they plugged into the network and the system that they had. What God had given them, they're already on task. They're going to use this. And guess what they did? They doubled. The guy with two did the same thing. He went and made two as well. But now look at this other guy. But the one who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He's like, I ain't going to lose it. Make sure that I give this back to him. Now remember, that's not growing, but that's also not declining. That's just maintaining. And if we remember the end of this story, this is not a good plan. Because God expects us to produce. Now you're saying, so is God going to be really mad at me if I don't know? Understand this. That God is the one who gives the growth. Right? But you have to be the one who goes immediately and starts trying to get something done. Believe me, I've been at places in ministry where I, the heart, there have been places where I've worked harder than I've ever worked and nothing's happened. And I don't think God's been unhappy with us, but I do think I'm, we were being prepared for something. But there are other times in which great stuff's happening and I'm not doing diddly squat and I don't think God's really very happy with me because he wants me to be in the game, right? Can I get an amen in the house? And so we are to, whatever gifts, whatever resources, you are to be making those gifts produce. He gave them to you a couple years ago. Looking around, no tiny children. There is no Santa, right? We're all, we're all aware of this, right? It's okay. If this is news to you. I, I apologize if I've, if I've broken hearts. Uh, I don't, I don't, there, there's a beautiful Santa story. I'll tell you the Santa story. But at our house, we don't hire him. <laughs> we take care of it on our own. Does that make sense? We, 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 we take care of Santa. And so we get the stockings out and we fill those stockings. Well, a couple years ago, I got the stocking out and was filling one up for Noah and Nathan. When I reached into it, there was a chocolate bar from the previous year. <laughs> Let me give you a couple of options. A, I ate the chocolate bar. Or B, I threw the chocolate bar away because it had been in the garage for a year and was nasty. A or B? B. It was what I opened it. I was going to eat it, but, but it was white and crumbly and nasty. You want to know why? Because a gift that's unopened tends to spoil. A gift that you don't unwrap and doesn't get used is a worthless gift. You want to know why God says cut that tree down and burn it? It's because God's not into doing worthless things. And right here, you got to make your gifts produce. Do you have to? Well, I can't do what you do, Andy. Well, I can't do what Billy Graham does. I don't have those resources. He gave each according to his ability. Wherever you are right now, you got to make that work for you. Can I get an amen in the house?
Next. This is really tough. If you're going to be faithful, you've got to remember there will be accountability. Now, this is tough, and this is where we start to misunderstand. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. This doesn't sound like fun for any of us, does it? We get really confused. We go, no, 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 my sins are forgiven. Absolutely, I'm in 100% agreement with you. You are not going to stand, according to my understanding of Scripture, that those of us who pleaded the blood of Christ and are covered by his sins, we are completely forgiven and we are justified. And justified means not only are our sins forgiven and washed away, cast in the deepest sea of forgetfulness and remembered no more, cast as far as the east is from the west. Not only does that take place, but all the righteousness of Christ, every good thing Christ ever did, I'm given credit for. We're given credit. We stand before God, not even just as forgiven, but as completely forgiven and given credit for every good thing Jesus Christ ever did. Now that's good, that's justified. But I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about your discipleship. And on the other side of the cross, read your Bible. What does it say in the epistles at the end? One day it'll all burn. Wood, hay, straw, stubble. Only what's precious will remain. Do you know what that's a reference to? The opportunities and the gifts that we were given. These things, you will not stand in heaven, I know there's in the movies, in front of a giant screen with everybody showing all your lewd secrets up there, you know, oh, I'm so, those have been forgiven, but we will be held accountable for the opportunities that God has given us. As a follower of Christ, as a servant in the household, will be held accountable, we, he will come and settle accounts with us. He's not going to say, Andy, those lustful thoughts you had in junior high, thank you, Jesus, Right? But he will say, why were you so lazy in 2016 when I put those ministry opportunities in front of you? Can you be forgiven for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what's better than forgiveness on that? To be forgiven and then move to correction. Amen. And to start producing fruit and say, God, I learned my lesson. I'll be a good servant now. And all God's people said... Because we need to remember, you say, that's kind of fear motivation. Yes. It's called parenting. Can I get an amen in the house? I know we're in this era. No, we got to love. I want to be friends with my kids. I don't want to be friends with my kids. I don't want to be their friend because I will disappoint them. I have spanked my children. I don't have to do it anymore. Thank goodness, because they're too big and it would hurt. <laughs> I have disciplined them. I've expressed disappointment in them. And I kind of enjoy it a little bit because I don't lose my temper all the time. But when I lose my temper, probably once or twice a year, and I just, Gah! and I go off, the whole house is like, <laughs> and I walk into another room and go, yes. <laughs> because there needs to be some reckoning every now and then. Can I get an amen? And, well, God, he makes us this promise that he will settle accounts. And when we get to that place where we think, I'm gonna sing for myself. I'm gonna spend this money, even though God told me to tithe, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to myself. Or I'm, not, I'm not gonna serve anymore because I'd rather just do nothing. You say, Andy, you're getting in our business. Yes, this is not the weekend. Welcome to Wednesday night. This is the army. And enlisted personnel get the, the manual read to them and the manual says this, that there will be an accounting for what we do with the assignments we're given in Jesus' name. Not the things somebody guilt trips you into, not a pastor, even me, if I say something, you go, well, did, should I do that? I don't know if you should do that or not. That's between you and the Lord. But if the Lord tells you to do it, you will be held accountable for what he asks you to do.
Can I get an amen in the house? Don't be manipulated by man. Don't be even manipulated by circumstance. God will always tell you, but here's the problem. You better listen because on this side of the cross, we've got some responsibilities. I better hurry. We need to understand, this one's huge, that stewardship reveals your beliefs. How you handle your gifts actually says a lot more about what you believe than what you actually say with your mouth. You see what it says? And we're only going to focus on the guy who had the one talent. What did it say? Master, I knew you. Everybody say, I knew you. What does he say? I knew you're a hard person. I knew that you stole and you didn't work hard and, and I'm afraid of you. So I went and hid your talent in the ground. Now, if we read the rest of this, you go, yeah, this guy comes back and says, I am that guy. I do do that. So you should have taken it to the bank and at least gotten interest. And your immediate thought is, I can't believe God's like that. Parables break down. God's not saying, see, I'm a stealer. And I'm really hard. That's not, that's not it. You're, you're missing. Jesus is using this in this context. And he's saying what? He's saying that the reason this guy acted the way he did was because he was displaying his belief about his master. Do you think those other guys knew that master too? They did. They knew the master too. But what they believed about him was that, yes, he does. He's a stringent businessman. Yes, but he's my master. And they were willing to take a risk and do the, and, and, and what this guy is saying is, I don't even like you. I don't trust you. I'm afraid of you. Now, I don't know what your stewardship of your gifts, your talents, your resources, I don't know what it says, but the way you handle everything that God's given to you, and let's refresh ourselves, what has God given you? Everything. The way you handle what God's given you, that's what actually speaks about what you believe about him. The way you handle the stuff that he's given you is the testimony of what you really believe about him. And he was afraid of him. Everybody say afraid. He was afraid of him. I'm running out of time, so I got to do this fairly quickly. If we're going to be faithful, we also have to know that blessing can be removed. That a talent, whether, remember, we're talking about money, we're talking about time, we're talking about giftings. A talent can be removed if we understand this parable correctly. So the talent was taken from him. I find it really interesting that in my mind, well, I take it from him and give it to the guy who only had, you know, five or only had four because he had less. No, what did God do? He gave it to the guy who was really producing. Since says, that guy's faithful. Give it to him. And, th and then we're over here, why would God do that? Because he's doing it. He's a good servant. He's worthy of trust. And he said, what? Enter into the master's pleasure. I will, I, I will give you even more. It's really interesting. What does that mean? I'll take it from him. The phrase in the Bible, to fear the Lord, bothers people. I don't want a God I'm afraid of. I don't want a God that I have fear of. Is there a difference between being terrified and having respect? It's a huge difference, isn't there? If you, if you grew up with an abusive father... You probably hid in the dark and were terrified. If you, grew, if you grew up with a loving father, there were still moments you hid in the dark. Isn't that right? But it wasn't because you were terrified of him, but you respected him and you knew you had done wrong. Can I get an amen in the house? When you see the phrase, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, I grew, I grew up in an abusive home. 
I know what it was like to, to be terrified uh, of a father. And I'm thankful that God is the father of the fatherless. And the reality is that as, as I've walked through this, I, I, I will tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have learned that the fear of the Lord, because he's a good father, is not the fear that God would put his hand on us. It is the fear that he would take his hand off of us. You see the difference? The fear of God is that his hand is upon us, but what if we lived in such a way, what if we dishonored him in such a way that he says, I can't, I can't bless that home because you're not living like I told you to live. I can't bless your finances because you're not living the way I told you to live. I can't bless the words that are coming out of your mouth because that is not the way I taught you to talk. The fear of the Lord is not that he would put his hand on you. The fear of the Lord is that he would take his hand off you. And all God's people said... So we know that blessing can be removed. Last one. And finally, if we're going to be faithful, we've got to realize this is serious. I think a lot of us get in this place. Well, I'm going to heaven. That's all that really matters. And you will. You will. You will never lose that. And that's why this passage is a little interesting. And cast the worthless servant. Boy, I don't want, well done, my good and faithful, versus worthless. I don't want to be this guy. Can I get an amen in the house? But what's interesting, he says, into outer darkness, in that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hyperbole. And you say, why is this hyperbole? Because nowhere else in Scripture do you hear anywhere that you can lose your salvation. Nowhere else in Scripture do you know this. Jesus said, whoever's in the Father's hand, he is in the Father's hand, and nothing can snatch him away. Does that make sense? So this is one of those parabolic examples of hyperbole. And what is it? He's wanting you to know that even though you are guaranteed, what did Peter say? That wood, hay, and stubble will all burn, only what's precious will remain, and some will only make it by the skin of their teeth. Don't make it by the skin of your teeth. Make it in such a way that you have precious jewels and crowns to lay at the feet of Jesus. And all God's people said. And so what he's saying is, if you thought you just bought your ticket on the J train and you're heaven bound, everything's good, you're wrong. Take this seriously. God saved you and he left you here because there's a world that needs saved. I'm already six minutes over, eight minutes over. They need the room. God bless you. Please leave quietly. See you. Bye-bye.